Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Your premier North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby. One fan at a time. And welcome, Rugby Rant fans. It's the big guy, Scott Ferrari, here with Nick Javetta. You know Nick, um, 2022 uh, MLR champion, former New York iron worker. Uh, currently, uh, what is your title president of the board? Like, Is it like a official title of, of the, the Players Association or... Um, yeah, I, I'm chairman chairman of the player board. Chairman of the board, the old Nicky Blue Eyes treatment. That's that's always perfect. That's always a great uh, a great thing to say. But again, Nick's here. He's chairman of the board of the United States Rugby Players Association, representing those MLR players that are now collectively bargained with the league. Nick, thank you very much for coming in, man. Really appreciate you. Um, we know this is a um, busy time for you. Time difference. You're out in uh, out in the UK, um, so really appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, it's um, it's great to be here. Great to chat to you. Um, uh, former head of the uh, <laughs> uh, University of Berkeley. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's a great, great time to be chatting and, and giving the message out. I mean, what we've been able to achieve through voluntary recognition is the beginning of um, you know the, the process to get MLR players' voices um, heard officially. Yep. Right. And we're very proud that we're we've taken this step. Um, we're glad that we were able to come to an agreement with the league um, for going what would probably be a vitriolic election, um, to, to use your words from a few minutes ago. Um, I think, um, uh, yeah, it's, it puts us in a good place going forward and it sets the, um, sets the stage for, you know, a real fair arm la- arm's length negotiation with players, you know, for them to capture their value from, from MLR contracts. Absolutely. And it was good to hear, um, us, the guys, at the rugby ran have been talking about this, um, for like two or three years now, um, you know, and, and we, we bring it up constantly, especially when there's issues, but let's, let's get right into it. So you retired um, from professional rugby, um, but you decided to continue your involvement with the players association. Um, is that just something that you just had this need to complete? Was it just, it's a desire. Cause I know you were involved from the Eagle side, correct? Yeah. So I, I was elected um, in, in 20, 2021 to, to lead the players association at the time we were, Focused on on um, well, we were we were the official representative of the men's and women's 15th and 7th. We continue to be the we play that role um, in negotiations with USA Rugby. Um, um, at the time, I was playing in the MLR. Um, my my MLR colleagues and myself were constantly reminded of the fact that the MLR was without a players' association, um, and reminded of the fact that you know life as an MLR player 
can be very complicated with the, the, the contracting structures. Some of the things you're exposed to uh, from a player safety point of view. Um, and fundamentally, you know, these are difficult things to have a say in changing without, um, without, without being, you know, the, you know, without being a players association, without having a, a voice, you know, under, under better law to, to help, help sort of advocate for your, for your, for your rights as an employer. So as an employee, um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, we kind of set this as a goal from, from 2021, myself and the other guys who are playing in the MLR to, to, to make sure that we push this as hard as we could to try to get to the end result, which is voluntary recognition or, you know, through other means, you know, certification as, as, as the players association for MLR players. Um, and I, I probably would, I couldn't have stepped back after retirement and let this opportunity slip away. Um, so I decided to stick around. Um, and continue to push it through through last season and then through um, through the off season to the point we are we are today, which is you know, very thankfully um, uh, voluntarily recognized um, yeah. and ready to take the next step of the league um, as full stakeholders in the future of the MLR. And you know it's good to know, and and you see it in other leagues. You have former players who lived it who understand what's going on within the league to kind of push this effort and lead. Uh, the players associations because they know the best, right? Um, you know, you, you have firsthand uh, knowledge of, of some of the issues that come about. Um, so my next question really, you know, at the start of last summer, I know that um, the players association filed with the national labor relations board to be recognized. Um, you know, how did talks with the league and, and your representation of the, the players, how did it come about between now and then to, to really get this going? Yeah, well, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of a long story. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we had some talks with the league last year. Um, we didn't sort of see them ending up with us being voluntarily recognized through those talks. Um, so we felt it was necessary to take the step to file um, for an election. Uh, we had the backing of 80 plus percent of players. You know, we were pretty confident that we were going to win an election. Um, so we filed. Timing on filing these things is a bit... <clears throat> You know, hard to control, right? Because the labor board is is you know sort of a meandering beast. Yep. So we weren't really entirely sure when we'd hear back about the election. As it turns out, it took quite a few months for them to sort through or to get to our case. They decided they're going to have a mail-in election that coincides with the start of this season, right? So that was the overarching. That was the landscape we were dealing with um, during the off season, figuring that out, and then sort of gearing up for that election, which was meant to start um, in a couple weeks' time. Um, but during the off season, there were a couple of changes in the MLR, two teams dropped out, team moved to LA. Um, and during these sort of sorts of pre-bargaining periods, there's, you know, after an election has been filed, there's certain things that the employer needs to sort of keep consistent to make sure that, um, you know, they're following the letter of federal law. Um, and the prevailing circumstances for the league made it very difficult for the league to do that. Um, and so that, probably um, created some legal exposure from the league's point of view um, that would have been, uh, I would have sort of made it very difficult for the end result of, of the election or, or any, any um, case that came out yeah. of it um, not, not go in the way of, of there being a union. Right. So I, fundamentally so that, that is likely what brought, them back to speak to us about getting this done through an agreement 
um, which, you know, we were very happy to, to, to entertain from the one as long as we could see that the, the end goal from the agreement was immediate recognition of the union um, and a path towards towards crafting a CBA. So um, that's a long-winded way of saying that, you know, fundamentally what we found is that we're not particularly far apart in what we want. You know, we have this common goal that, um, you know, we share in the success of, of, of MLR and rugby in the United States. Um, and I think when we recognized that, when we started to chat back in, back in December, um, I felt pretty confident from there that we'd be able to come to an agreement that resulted in voluntary recognition and got us to, to where we, where we are today and, and where we want to go. Uh, you spoke about it, about, you know, kind of the turmoil, Prior to the season, you had you know, the Iron Workers folding. You had Toronto folding. You know, two two teams folding for kind of different reasons. Um, you had the relocation of Atlanta to LA, and then you had the creation of the Anthem RC uh, down in Charlotte. Um, you know, it, it causing a lot of volatility, causing a lot of um, volatility for the players. They don't know where they're going to go. We're going to have dispersal drafts. You know, you have guys who are trying to line up um, visas to come into the the country. Um, and, and, you know, all that kind of falls by the wayside because, you know, a team ceases operation. Um, do you think, you know, part of, part of that, is, is that part of your drive to, to, for your guys to really, um, bargain part of that to say, Hey, what kind of communication are we getting? Cause we've, my, my, my point being historically, it seems as though we've seen the same type of communication. There is none. And, and, you know, not being in it, I know from players and, and talking to players, like they get told the day before sometimes and then that's it, you know? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, from, from a league's point of view, when, when these situations do happen, right. And the player association doesn't prevent teams from folding. That's not really our role. I mean, an investor can decide not to participate, you know, if he doesn't want to participate, you know, but from a, from a PR point of view, it really behooves the league to have a player's association in place. Right. Because when these things do happen, you know, there's 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 PR value in in the players' association being consulted, mm-hmm. e- even if even if the solution is suboptimal. And like, let's the, the the player welfare outcomes for players on the two teams who folded, um, on the guys who have been shifted around late in the late in the year, even even this week. I mean, you still see it happening. Guys going to anthem. Right. It's it's very difficult to appraise all the damage that was done. Right. It's very difficult to say that that optimal outcomes you know occurred for every player. Um, so it's a very challenging environment that these players are in, and it's it can be it can be awful. I mean, you have guys whose stuff might be in New York or Toronto or back in New Zealand for the holidays or wherever they may be, and then you know everything is just logistical nightmare, financial nightmare. Guys are owed money. It's it's a disaster. Right. From a PR point of view, the league can mitigate these disasters by, you know, trying to reach some sort of agreement or some sort of negotiation with a, a players' association in the interim to help communication with the players to make them, make, to, to make it clear that these things are coming down the pipeline. Right? Mm-hmm. That might be a very convoluted answer that that doesn't quite get you. Well, I mean, you have to fi- the part the part of it is you have to figure out those details to say when we're in a situation like this, what yeah. is is bargain to say. Is there an employee assistance program that we can have? Is there a relocation amount we can give, you know, as part of a severance package? But again, all collectively bargain. 
And so I don't think your answer is convoluted as much as you just don't have the details yet because you're in the middle of it. But that's no, what I, it provides. I think I think what you asked on there has done a much better job answering my question, <laughs> answering the question than I have. Right? There's a lot of value that can be provided for the players' association in situations like this. Right? Fundamentally, during this off season, the value could have been in PR. In the future, there's a whole lot of negotiation that can go around what happens in these circumstances, right? And the timing and how things need to be ordered and, and, and pitch that through. So, yeah, great answer. It's, you know, 930 at home. I'm going to practice. And, and, and prior to recording, I was explaining to Nick, I do have a lot of experience in contract yeah. negotiation with you. Yeah, specifically the Teamsters, which, you know, when they strike, they like to, you know, rock the cars and all that sh- fun stuff if you're crossing a picket line. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. Um, you know, from a, a PR standpoint, you know, from a fan standpoint, and, and we see it in fan comments and things like that, um, you know, it seemed as though the league, you know, was very uh, resistant to this move. And you kind of spoke about it before, about your guys' efforts to create it and, and kind of what pushed it. Um, but from a, a, a fan perspective, we hear a lot about, oh, you know, People have this association. Well, unions are just there to try and drive up wages. Um, I know that's not correct. You know that's not correct. So if you could just talk about like <clears throat> maybe three or four points, they don't have to be detailed points about what you know you guys may be looking for in the future. I mean, like there's there's some fundamental things in the way that MLR contracts contracts are structured that that. I don't think any player is particularly happy about, you know, the way in which you can be let go at any time for any reason, the the rights that you assign to teams to transfer you around, whether you're an associate player or an SPC player, the structure of the associate player contract in itself is, is particularly difficult to wrap your head around. Um, I think, you know, from a contracting point of view, we're, we're looking to get to a place where, you know, it's coming into the league, Wherever, whatever their background is, you know, if they're you know seasoned professional from overseas, they're an eagle, they're a guy straight out of college. They want to be able to look at this contract and feel protected. They want to be able to look at this contract and feel like you know they can pursue a career in rugby in the United States or in North America if there's you know teams in other countries. Um, and I don't think that the contract that they're signing currently really hold, holds that that risk balance in a good place. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's 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 one thing. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, there's no health insurance for players. Mm-hmm. Guys have workers' comp, um, but their families aren't covered, and they they don't have personal health insurance coverage. I mean, I know in some states there's a mandate, like Massachusetts, guys mm-hmm. um, more or less required to, to buy it, um, subsidized, etc. But it's not the case for all the players. Um, we'd like to get to a place where that is part of the deal of being. Uh, an MLR player, right? We understand that that's complex given the, the bargaining unit, um, given the dispersed nature of the league, given the league's finances, um, but that's a pretty critical piece. Um, you know, we talked as well, you know, in our public campaign about quality of some of the fields that players are playing on and whether or not they're um, safe to be playing high-level rugby on. I, I think that Again, a, a tricky problem to solve from a financial point of view. Um, and you kind of need to have measured outcomes here to make a case yeah. for, for why these things need to change. So 
Um, that's something that we'll look into with full knowledge that, you know, as, as the league progresses financially, venues should improve, right? So we're, we're eyes wide open about the state of the league as we look, look ahead to collective bargaining. We're not, um, you know, here talking about that everyone should get paid a million dollars. It's not really about that, right? It's about mm-hmm. making sure that guys who come into the league can look at their contract, feel protected and understand that. You know, if I signed a, a two-year deal for, for X team, right, the expectation is that like mm-hmm. can't just be fired because yeah. yeah. don't fall into their budget anymore, right? There's 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 protections that need to be put in place. So um yeah, leave it there for now. Yeah. I mean, and that's 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 kind of my pushback on some fans that complain, well, why doesn't New York just find a a, a field a grass field to play on. I'm like, have you ever been to the city of New York, especially lower New York? Yeah. You can't, it, to build something like that would be, you know, $25 million. I mean, you could look at, um, they're building the stadium in Queens for, for Queens FC, the soccer stadium. Yeah. <clears throat> and Steve Cohen's building that. And he's the, like the richest man, in, you know, the sports owner in America right now. Um, you know, <clears throat> so it, you have to, again, I think incremental is the word, uh, the key yeah. word there. I think the other thing to add here is that, there's a whole host of things that will no doubt come out, you know, in our in our internal sort of bargaining discussions with, with players this year and, and during the offseason, right, where we um, start to come to a coherent, you know, proposal for a CBA. Um, so I, I can't say that you know, whatever list I've come up with here is exhaustive or even, of course, you know, going to be where we end up. But like it's, it, it really is going to be down to the players to decide what they want to bargain for in that first CBA. So that actually leads to my next question is, so what's the next step procedurally for you guys? That's to come together and get, and get, um, you know, uh, of, uh, more cohesive, uh, areas you guys want to bargain. Um, yeah. So I think, I think our ability to communicate with players is really good. I think that's why we got to this point today. Um, I think we need to desperately refocus our messaging now that we've got past the organizing point of view, because you you kind of get, two stages in the life of uh, a player association or a union, right? You get the organizing stage where you're focused on getting over the line. And then after that, it's like, well, shit, now we've got a bargaining contract. So um, we're, we're shifting our messaging to focus more on the value that we can add, understanding what the process looks like, you know, from here through bargaining. Uh, and then there's going to be, you know, elections on each team to identify official player leaders for each team, player representatives, um, from there, we'll form a bargaining committee and start to have you know conversations around how it's going to look when we, when we when we do come to the meeting with the collective bargaining. Nice. I mean, and and on top of that, you know, without having any clear knowledge of how long this is going to take, I mean, do you think um, we could have something ratified by the end of this season, going into next season? Um. Or at least a negotiation okay. enough. Okay. Will there be enough on the table for you guys to, to have a legit negotiation going into next season? Maybe not ratify, but at least have a really healthy negotiation going into next season. You know, 2025. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to answer that question. Okay. That's fine. I don't, I don't think I have the answers yet to that. that. Again, it's early on, and and you know, I'm I'm I again, I know the process more so than other people. It does take way longer than you would think uh, to get this done, which is why most unions are on three year to five year contracts, um, and they start negotiations like 
you know, if it's a three-year contract, they start negotiations in, you know, the first 18, you know, or after the first 18 months, and it's a five-year, it's, it's starting in year three. And then usually they go right to the deadline, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, and then just two more quick questions. This is more about um, the new, the new uh, MLR team, the, the Anthem. You know, what do you think about World Rugby's kind of mandate and involvement in the team? Do you think that helps, um, you know, you being an Eagle, you knowing, you know, our muddied pathways, I would say, to become an Eagle. Do you think World Rugby coming down and mandating this team and saying, you know, we want this to be an exclusive pathway? Do you think that helps, you know, the, the not only the, the American rugby player, but do you think it helps the MLR? I mean, I, I don't think this was pushed by by World Rugby, right, to happen. I, I think this was an, an, an ML, a, a, a Scott Lawrence, USA Rugby, and MLR joint venture going to World Rugby and saying, hey, we're ready to roll. Can you Can you jump in on this? Um, so yeah, I, taking off my, my players association hat, um, as a former Eagle, um, I think it's huge, right? It's, it's so important that young American players get consistent game time with guys who they'll eventually share the field with as Eagles. Um, I, I think this is an interesting model. Um, you know, if you compare it to, you know, the way that the Drua have taken Super Rugby by storm um, and, and some of the Slar teams, you know, it's just critical that guys get minutes and as high quality minutes as they can possibly get. You know, you can look at this competition and say, um, maybe it's the MLR, maybe it's a stronger competition than, than most of the teams in, in Slar. I mean, it's probably a similar level, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is probably easier logistically to handle. Yeah. Um, and fundamentally, a lot of these guys who are currently with MLR teams probably aren't going to play many minutes in MLR, so this is their chance to do that. Um, so it's great. And, and it, it beds them into, you know, the U.S. system now, right? So you'll have um, the, one of the U.S. coaches running it, whose name I, I, I can't remember, which is yep. terrible. But um, yeah, I met him I met him over the summer in Portugal um, when the U.S. played in, in the build-up to the, the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like very confident in in the pipeline that that scott's building here and and his vision for where he wants the eagles to go so um i, I think it's great great and just the the final question you know it's there's always a big debate about foreign player slots and um I believe Brian Ray just put out a thing talking about the change that started last season, which apparently nobody knew about that foreign player spot spots can only be 12 max, which is, you know, something that honestly I thought was floated when the league first started, to be honest, but I guess it was, you know, maybe that was just the the thinking and, you know, they, they were kind of actually holding people to that now. Um, is that something that the, the, the players association is going to look at? As far as you know, limiting slots, expanding slots, is that you think that's part of the purview of what some of your your guys are talking about in the bargaining unit? I mean, as the players' association, we represent all players in the MLR, mm-hmm. right? So consult with you know the, the player block and understand if this is if that's if that's the direction they want to head. Right? I can't mm-hmm. sit here and say we're trying to you know, disenfranchise the foreign player because mm-hmm. we have a lot of them. We depend we depend on them now for absolutely. For, some aspect of the, the level of play. So um, it, it's a bit more nuanced than just saying, yeah, we should have fewer. Um, I, I don't, I don't believe that's the case. Now I think it's something the players will have to align on. Mm-hmm. When we pick up the ball, 
we also pick up a legacy. A legacy that stretches beyond your current team. A legacy built on the backs of those who came before you in hard work. And for those who will come after you, we promise it won't be easy. But we'll be there, supporting you on and off the field. I mean, for me, I've always felt <clears throat> I think the survival of the league right now depends on those foreign players coming in. And we do have young foreign players coming in, getting some time playing excited rugby. Um, you know, you talk about quality minutes, right? Right now, what we can do to give those young Eagles or those Hawks or those Falcons quality minutes is trying to get the best um, quality players we can. And that includes guys who play outside North America. You know, they play been playing for X amount of years. They have X amount of talent and iron sharpens iron, as they say. So I always feel that it's right now, the level of foreign players I think is good. Um, you know, as far as the slotting is concerned from a fan perspective. And again, I think now that we have Anthem going and we have Scott Lawrence kind of building this system and not just building the system on the Anthem side, but if you look at every team, all the teams, you know, the original six style teams have a lot of, guys who are USA eligible, who are Eagles, who've put in minutes, um, you know, and as the new teams are coming, you're seeing guys like Miami Benja was Benjamin Asso going to Miami. Um, I think he might be going to Anthem now is what, you know, the, what I heard. I don't know. Yeah. I, listen, I hear a lot of things, Nick, you know, I don't believe most of them, but um, my point being is even the new teams coming in, new ownership are seeing um, what having American rugby players on the team means, and it's not just about having the flashy foreign player all the time. Um, it really builds cohesion. The fundamental anecdote would always use when talking about this is like, you look at the, the crowds that would come out. Listen, we, in New York, we didn't get big crowds mm -hmm. for one reason or another, whatever it might be. Look at the people who came out for Connor Buckley and John Powell. And they, yeah, absolutely. Extra, extra 75, 100 people. We play. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that was because, you know, Connor had his entire family show up. Well, the family, <laughs> they're, they're New York guys. Like that's yeah. how you build a fan base. It's like you need Absolutely. places playing in those places. And it's huge. Absolutely. And I, right. Uh, mm -hmm. Frankly, like American fans don't care about, you know, these fantastic, and they're fantastic players and they add a ton of value to teams. Mm -hmm. American fans just don't care about watching. Them, right. They'd much rather come out and see someone they know, someone from New York, someone who sounds like them. So like, mm -hmm. That is something that I know, you know, owners around the league recognize, right? Um, mm -hmm. And 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 want to make sure that they maintain that. Absolutely. And then, so one final question before we go, and this is more of a personal question. I know mm -hmm. you've retired for rugby, but if Oxford says, "Hey, you want to throw on the jersey and, and go out there for a shift," I mean, are you are you are you at the point where you're going to play a little bit? Are you gonna are you gonna be in an old boys league? Like, what's what's going on? Have you have you gotten the itch? No, I don't have the itch. I still, I still coach. So I coach Oxford, which is great. Um, and that keeps me involved, but I, I, I haven't gotten the itch yet. Well, I had an opportunity to play in a, in a friendly in December and I, I said no, which was smart. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I will. Yeah. I don't, I don't expect the itch to come back. Um, yeah. Listen, you play, you've played way more rugby than I can ever even think about. So I hear you. I Enough definitely hear you. Yeah. <laughs> And listen, enjoy enjoy your retirement, and you're still involved in the game on, you know, two completely different levels. Which I'm sure, as you went through, you know, even your 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 college career, you never thought probably I would be part of a of rugby on, 
almost a 10,000 foot level from a coaching perspective and a player's association perspective, right? Yeah, I, I think I'm very, I'm very grateful for the game and I think where it's brought me and how it's prepared me for you know life after rugby and, and the real job that I do you know, with most of my hours during the week. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be involved and, and happy to hopefully be making, you know, having a positive effect on mm-hmm. on the players that I coach's lives and then, and then hopefully long-term some, some impact on, on the way the MLR kind of treats players. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, I'm going to say it's, this is, it's absolutely great and you absolutely are making an impact. Again, incremental changes. You can't look at uh, this as a wholesale change, right? You know, happening right now. Yeah, incremental there's a time frame that's longer than you know you would think but again it's part of the work it's part of how you get from a to b and it's part of how to get player safety up to a standard where it needs to be yeah. and you know we're going to be you know uh, on a five-year plan as far as getting the league and the players up to where they need to be because we're going to have a, a rugby world cup coming here soon so starting it now is setting us up for the future and nick thank you so much again for joining us uh, really appreciate it Really always appreciate if I have a question, I could just kind of, you know, pop in and ask you um, and always appreciate your time coming on the show. So thank you very much, man. Um, Hopefully you can get some sleep soon. I know you have a couple more of these you got to do. Just one more. All right, cool. All right, good. It's McCarthy. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Nick. Thank you so much. All right. See you. See you.